Hello, friends. You're listening to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. I'm Chris, the Communications Director at Cap City, and I'm so glad you're listening. In fact, I would love to chat with you. Send me an email at hello at capitalcitychristian.org today. The whole month of February, we've been looking at the book of Jonah. We started from the first verse, and we're moving towards the last of this short book and trying to glean every piece of wisdom we can. If you don't know about Jonah, here's the basics. Jonah was a prophet who heard from God and ignored everything God said and then did the opposite. Things didn't really work out so well, so Jonah changed his ways and listened to God and everything worked out great, or something like that. Today we're asking the question, who is my neighbor? Because there are several people in the story of Jonah. Some of them were acting like good neighbors, while one wasn't. Any guesses? Let's get started with our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison. Guys, I hope love the song that Rachel sang. Didn't she do amazing? But if you listen to the words of that song, it's what we're talking about this morning. It's really, really powerful. I also wanted to remind you there's a prayer room in the back. One of our elders is back there right now praying for you guys. And if at any time in the service you feel like you need to pray with somebody or for someone to pray for you, just slip to the back there and uh, he'll be glad to pray with you. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we come into this room because we believe that you're here, and we want to put ourselves in a receptive place. If you have words of encouragement for us, we want to hear them. If you have words of challenge for us, we want to hear those. And we want to bask in your grace all over again. Thank you for this opportunity to be with you. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Jordan was up here talking about bad neighbors, right? I don't want you to name names, but I'm going to name for you one of my worst named neighbors ever, okay? It's a guy named Dave Becker. How many of you guys know Dave Becker, okay? Now, I don't know if you've ever had a neighbor like this, but Dave's yard was always perfect, right? Mine was not. Guess who looked bad all of the time, right? Dave's house was always perfect. I'd go down to Dave's house. I even went into his shop. Dave's shop was perfect. He did work working there all the time. I looked. I hunted for dust so I could shame him. I could never find it. All of his tools were exactly where they needed to be, where they belonged. And so sometimes I'd just go down to Dave's house to borrow a tool. I knew I had three of them somewhere, but he could find his. Have you ever had a neighbor like that? He was terrible. And he was so daggone nice, right? I was supposed to be the preacher on the block. I was supposed to be the nice guy. And he was constantly out nicing me. One of us was a really bad neighbor, right? <laughs> Christians sometimes, as Jesus followers, were not very good neighbors. How many of you guys remember a guy named Ned Flanders, right? Anybody know that name? Okay. Homer Simpson's neighbor. Was he a good neighbor or not? Flat out annoying sometimes to Homer. Any of you guys like that? Sometimes we Jesus followers are kind of the opposite. Some Jesus followers just kind of hole up and they never really want to be seen by their neighbors, right? Have really very little to do with them. They barely know we're there. And you've all seen those neighbors or you've seen them down the block or down community somewhere, that it's their mission in life to remind people that they're going to hell, 
right? And so they have signs up in their yard or banners up and talking about the judgment that's coming. I even read one guy who called a lot of Jesus followers unneighbors. That was his name for us. We're unneighbors. Because sometimes he says we Jesus followers get so wrapped up in church that we don't have any time left over to be neighbors. Any of you guys like that? Is that good or bad? How are you as a neighbor? Maybe not how you would evaluate yourself as a neighbor, you know. How would your neighbors evaluate you as a neighbor? And does it matter? Should I care? That's kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning. But I want to just kind of deal with a couple of little things before we get there that I can pull together a little bit later on. Do you think that there are some people who are worth more than others? Who have more value than others? Do you think that God looks at people and he thinks that some people have more value or more worth than others? That's the question. Now, you may not have heard this, but I heard this a lot growing up. This is how I was taught. And if you go online, this is still what you can see online, okay? How is it that a good God, a really good God, could punish people in hell forever? That was the question. How could you commit a little sin, a finite sin, a single sin, and that sin be worth punishment forever? At some point, doesn't the punishment exceed the crime? That was the question. You cheated on your taxes. Burn in hell forever. But I heard a lot of people explain it like this. This is how I was taught. We have an infinite God. He's infinitely big, infinitely good, infinitely holy. And so if you commit a sin against an infinitely holy God, the sin becomes infinitely bad and deserves infinite punishment. That's what I was taught. By the way, we'll be dealing with this a little bit more on a Wednesday night coming in a couple of months. Anyway, does that kind of logic make sense to you? Does it make sense to you if it's not applied to God? I'll give you a couple of illustrations. This is kind of funny. Sometimes people don't know that I'm a preacher, and I guess I don't look like one and don't act like one sometimes, but I don't know how many times people have apologized to me because they found themselves cussing and then all of a sudden realize I'm a preacher, right? Oh, sorry, preacher right? As if cussing in front of a preacher is worse than cussing when a preacher's not around, right? Somehow the sin becomes more sinful because it's done in front of me, which is silly as all get out. Or betrayal. Somehow we think that it's worse if you betray someone who was good, if you betray someone who was holy. Is it? Is it more sinful when you sin against someone who's good than if you were to sin against someone who's bad? And what I'm going to suggest, this may seem a little strange to you, but what I'm going to suggest is that it depends on what we understand about the image of God. The image of God. You go all the way back to the beginning of our Bible, Genesis chapter 1, and God says this. He says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So God created us human beings, in his image. In the image of God, he created us, male and female, he created us. And it's still there, guys. You bear the image of God. I bear the image of God. They bear the image of God. Doesn't matter whether you're short or tall or young or old or black or white or rich or poor, Republican or Democrat, gay or straight, if you're a Jesus follower or a Jesus hater. 
You bear God's image, your creator's image. That's why you're different. You're different from all of the other creatures on this earth, right? We are the only creatures on this earth who live with actually one foot in two different worlds. We stand with one foot in this physical world that God created, and we stand with the other foot in a spiritual world that we're aware of. It's there. We've got this spiritual sensitivity. We can respond to it. We are the ones in this earth who can actually choose between good and evil. You have the ability to choose good or to choose evil. It's your choice. And more than that, you are the creatures on this earth who have the ability to choose God, to live with God and for God, or not. You bear the image of God, which means (laughs) you're special to God. Every single one of you guys is special to God. That song Rachel sang, eight billion different reasons that you see his fingers, and he died for every one of them. You are special to God. And that's why Jesus gave us two great commandments, and they're linked. And the first great commandment goes something like this, love God with all of your hearts, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And the second one, which is connected, you cannot do one without the other. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you get that? Now, we're going to get back to that stuff, but now we're going to go back to the story of Jonah. We're in the middle of this little series on the book of Jonah, an Old Testament prophet, and the story opens like this. It says, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, the son of Amittai, get up and go to Nineveh, because my judgment against its people is there because I've seen how wicked they are. But Jonah flat out hated the the Ninevites, and he was flat out scared of them, so he got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from God. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a uh, ticket, went on board, hoping to escape the Lord, (laughs) kind of stupid, by going to Tarshish. Covered that part two weeks ago. The Lord hurled this powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help. They threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. We were there last week talking about how every time we sin, it drags a storm behind it in a variety of ways. Here's where we are this week. All this time, Jonah's sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain goes to Jonah and he says, how can you sleep at a time like this? Get up and pray to your God. Get up and pray. Maybe he'll pay attention to us and spare our lives. Crew went on to cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. They figured that part out. And when they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. So... Jonah's running from God. God throws down on him. If you were here last week, you might remember we talked about this fact that every single sin, every time we sin, it drags a storm of some sort behind it, and this one's a huge one. And it's fascinating in this story to compare the response of the sailors, pagan sailors, to this storm and the response of the prophet of God, Jonah, to this storm. I mean, they're praying. Not to God, they're pagan sailors, but they're praying. 
still praying furiously. They're working together to try to lighten the ship, throwing stuff overboard. Not people, just stuff. Because these pagan sailors apparently valued people more than stuff, which is so cool. And Jonah, who's the God follower, is in bed. Jonah's asleep. He's the one whose sin caused the storm. He is the one who put all of their lives at risk, and he's a sound asleep in bed, which makes you wonder, how in the middle of this storm? Now, I'm going to be speculative here for just a moment. I'm just going to guess. Have you guys ever heard of something called hypersomnia? Hypersomnia. Basically, it means this. Sometimes people get extra stressed, extra anxious, or extra depressed, and they try to escape it through sleep. Have you ever been there, maybe so overwhelmed with guilt, or you just feel like your problems are overwhelming and all you want to do is sleep, kind of as a defense mechanism? And I kind of wonder whether that's where Jonah was. How do you sleep through a storm that's ready to kill you? I mean, he's not like Jesus who could stand up there and say, shh, and the storm hushes. He's trying to escape. Because sometimes it'll wear you out trying to run away from God spiritually, physically, and emotionally. Now, I've told you the last couple of weeks that we're drawing some of the big ideas in this book uh, from the, in this series from a great book by Timothy Keller called The Prodigal Prophet. It's a great little book. And one of the things he does in this book is just try to look at some of the contrasts between Jonah and the sailors. Compare how they responded to these things that were taking place. Jonah doesn't come out looking too good. I mean, Jonah's completely out of touch, it seems, with the danger they're in. The sailors are all over it, trying to fix things. Jonah's completely self-absorbed. He's obsessed with his own issues, his own problems, and he doesn't care what's happening to the others on the boat. On the other hand, these pagans are working for what's called the common good. They're trying to rescue all of their fellows, and they're even trying to rescue Jonah. These pagans are praying. I know they're praying to pagan gods, but they're still praying. And Jonah, the prophet of the only true God, is asleep. These pagans are spiritually aware enough to know that this storm is different. Maybe this is even divine. came up so suddenly, perhaps. Maybe it was so fierce, perhaps. In fact, these pagans were even able to guess spiritually that this storm is a response to someone's sin, which is an odd thing, but they figured it out. Jonah doesn't look so good. There's bigotry on this boat. There is. The bigotry wasn't coming from the pagans. In fact, they begged Jonah to pray. They begged him to pray to our God. And it's such a weird scene. Pagan sailors begging a prophet of God, pushing a prophet of God to pray to his God. There's more to the story, some of which we haven't gotten to yet. Sailors have to draw lots to figure out whose sin caused this home because they figured that much out. And when they discovered it was Jonah, wouldn't you expect maybe these pagan sailors just to beat the snot out of him or maybe throw him overboard or kill him or whatever since he put all their lives at risk? They didn't. They kept treating him with respect. They treated his God with respect. Even when Jonah told them that they'd have to throw him overboard in order to stop the storm, they tried not to do it. They didn't want to hurt him. They exhausted every alternative they could think of. 
rather than throw Jonah overboard. It's an amazing scene. How do these pagans come off looking so much better than this prophet of God? Or let's reshape the question. How is it that our neighbors who are not God followers often come off looking so much better than those of us who are God followers? How do people around us in our life who are not believers come off sometimes looking so much better than we do? You've seen it, haven't you? I've seen some people who struggle with faith or some people who disbelieve completely. I've been around some atheists who are stunningly good men. I think for two reasons. Number one, we forget about something that is called common grace. And I'm going to talk about what that means. We forget about something called common grace, and we forget that it is part of our responsibility as God followers to work for the common good. To work for the common good. Let's start here. You ever heard of common grace? I mean, it's in the Bible. It's a thoroughly Christian idea. And it basically is this idea. God is good, not just to believers, but God is good to everybody who bears his image. We have an extravagantly gracious God. Jesus puts it like this. Jesus says God gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. He just lavishes his gifts upon his kids. And gives, God gives all of us people, every single one of us, the ability to be dazzled by beauty. How cool is that? And then he gives to every single one of us, whether we're Jesus followers or not, beauty to be dazzled by. How cool is that? God gives us our minds, our hearts, our talents, whether you're a Jesus follower or not. So I have been around atheists with way better minds than I have, with way bigger hearts than my heart, who are way more gifted than I am. You know why? Because of common grace. Common grace. And sometimes I get amused. There are Jesus followers who push back on reading books that are written by non-Christians or push back on listening to music that is written by non-Christians. Why? Sometimes their music is way better than ours. Sometimes their books are way smarter than ours. You know why? Common grace. God is extravagantly, indiscriminately gracious. You don't have to be a Christian to be gifted by God as a scientist, as a businessman, a politician, a farmer, whatever. And I'm telling you guys, without common grace, this world would be nearly intolerable. But we have a God who is profligate, recklessly extravagant with grace, which is why it's called grace. It's unconditional. It's undeserved. And that's why it's called common, because he pours it out on everybody who bears his image. All of the image of God followers. And that's why, that's why we have neighbors who are nicer than some of us, right? And that's why we have colleagues who are better on the job than we are. And that's why there are musicians and artists and scientists and teachers and tradesmen who are way more gifted than some of us Jesus followers because of common grace. We Jesus followers, even though we're Jesus followers, still struggle with sin, and so sometimes we're jerks. Sometimes the people around us, because they've been gifted by God with these talents in this heart, 
these minds are amazing people. That's why the sailors on this boat come off better than Jonah. But there's one thing this common grace doesn't do. Common grace doesn't save a soul. It doesn't. Have you ever heard nonsense like this? I know that you have. He's such a good man, God's going to have to let him into heaven, right? He's such a gifted man. She's such a gifted woman. Her voice is so amazing. Her beauty is so dazzling. They're so full of life. God's going to have to let him into heaven, right? That's common grace, guys. Common grace is not the same as saving grace. Now, I do think common grace is an evidence of God. And if you think about it, I think you'll realize that. Common grace points to God. I mean, without a God, without there being a God of this universe, what would motivate anybody to be as good as sometimes you see people being? It would be survival of the fittest, wouldn't it? Without a God, how can you really explain beauty and our ability to appreciate beauty? Without a God... I had one guy, he was saying, how in the world could you even explain a sense of humor if there was no God? Without a God, how do you explain our spiritual sensitivities, our, our notion of right and wrong, whether you're a God follower or not? Common grace is a powerful pointer towards God, but it doesn't save a man. And it doesn't save a woman. That takes a response as a person made in the image of God to special grace. Jesus Christ. Anyway, these pagans are giving some powerful evidence to common grace. They're doing good stuff. They're working for the common good. And it seems like the only person on the boat not working for the common good is Jonah, a prophet of God. And that's wrong. It's just wrong. Jonah in this story is a jerk, right? Not only is he refusing to go preach grace to some pagans that God wanted to save in Nineveh. But now, when others on the boat are trying to save his life, he's asleep. And when they try to discover who was sinning, because this storm that is upon them had to be sent by God because of someone's sin, they figured, Jonah says nothing. And they end up having to draw, his, draw lots in order to out him. See, Jonah was failing miserably. That's something that God expects of God followers, especially us Jesus followers. God expects us to be committed to the common good. In fact, we're going to see that you cannot love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength if you don't love your neighbor as yourself. The two are connected. I mean, Jesus said those are the big two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbors yourself. And he's not just talking about their souls. It means caring about their physical well-being, their emotional well-being, as well as their spiritual well-being. So Jonah's in this boat, and the captain is in his face, and he's saying, Jonah, what's wrong with you? We're about to die. Don't you care? Even if you don't care about yourself. As a prophet of God, don't you think you should be caring about us? I mean, it looks to me like your God cares about non-Jews, right? That's why you're on this boat running away from a God who wanted to send you to preach to these pagans, the Assyrians. And if your God cares about people like us, shouldn't you? 
this captain says? And our answer is, absolutely. He's a jerk. Because he's disregarding the common good, like we do sometimes. See, God didn't put us here just to serve our own. He put us here to love on and to serve anybody who bears the image of God. And who is that? Every single human being. We're members of several families, guys. You've got a biological, physical family that you're part of. and Most of you, many of you are part of a church family right here, which is so cool. Great family, I hope. You're also part of the Frankfurt family and the Franklin County family and the Kentucky family and the human family. So we've got this amazing scene, a pagan sea captain reprimanding a prophet of God. Get out of bed and pray. What's wrong with you? Beg your God to help us. It's not just about you and whatever issues you have with your God. Shouldn't you as a prophet of God care about us too? And Jonah deserved the tongue lashing. Some of us do too. Because guys out there have every right to evaluate our love for God by our commitment to our world, don't they? Jesus did. Love God with all your heart, love your neighbors yourself. The two are connected. You can't do one without the other. And you know why we have to do that? It's because they bear the image of God, and God loves them too. This isn't just an idea in this little Old Testament book of Jonah. Guys, if you skim through the pages of the New Covenant, our covenant with God, it's there too, powerfully. Here's one of the ways that Jesus put it. Jesus said, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that, so that everybody will praise your heavenly Father. And when it's talking about good deeds here, it's not just talking about being good to each other here inside these walls. It's talking about being great neighbors out there so they can see us pointing to our God, right? Or this one. I mean, Jesus in this one is talking about that day when every single one of us is going to stand before God and we're going to give an account. We all are going to, and it's going to have heaven and hell at stake. And here's what he says. He says, the king is going to say to those on his right, enter you who are blessed by my father. And take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the foundation of the world. And here's why. Here's why. I was hungry and you fed me. And I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. And I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. And those that he was talking to say something like this. What in the world are you talking about? Jesus, I never saw you hungry and gave you food. I never saw you thirsty and gave you drink. I never saw you sick. I never saw you in prison. I certainly didn't come visit you there. And the king's going to say this. This is huge. I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, someone in my image, whenever you do it to someone who is in his image, you're doing it for him. That's what he's saying. There's one more. This comes from James. James is the brother of Jesus. James started out life blowing off his brother as a man of God, and he ended up bending his knees as the son of God, right? It's amazing. 
James says there's going to be no mercy for those who haven't shown mercy to others, and he's not talking about people in this room. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Because what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? You can't love God without loving your neighbor. Can that be the kind of faith that saves anyone? He goes on in this text. We have the next, there it goes. Suppose you see a brother or sister, this is illustration, who has no food or clothing, and you say, have a great day. I hope you find food. I hope you stay warm. And you have the capacity to help, but you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? And then here's where it gets hard. This is where it gets really hard for us. He says, faith by itself is not enough. Huh? He says, unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and it's useless. In other words, if I'm not trying to love my neighbor as myself, I can't love God. I'm not loving God, he says. Well, guys, what would it look like if we actually tried living this stuff out? What kind of difference would it make in your life? What kind of difference would it make in your neighbor's lives, in our community, and beyond? We try to take this stuff very seriously as a church, guys. It's a big part of who we are here at Capital City Christian Church. We try to do it together as a church. Last fall, amazingly, this church family, so proud of this church family, we raised nearly $100,000 for RIP medical debt because we learned that they'd be able to purchase medical debt at about a penny on the dollar. And we were able to pay off $10 million of medical debt for about 12,000 families in central Kentucky. Love God, so you try to love on your neighbors. Trying to take an advantage of an incredible opportunity to be good neighbors. That's why we've got these generous buckets all around this room, these little white buckets that people give to. Believe it or not, over the past several years, we raise, I don't know, $40,000, $50,000 a year that are every dollar of which is just used to love on people, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that's in addition to the money that through our budget we're able to give through things like Rosam, Avenues for Women, Soup Kitchen, the Women's Shelter. And that's what lays behind some of the all-on-deck events that we have here at Capital City, things like the Jesus Prom, Trunk or Treat, Jingle Jam, Easter Extravaganza coming up. And yes, we want to nudge people towards Jesus through these things. But yes, we also just want to do something good for these precious people who bear the image of Christ because you can't love him without loving your neighbors. And we want to do whatever we can to help make their lives better. It's why we have a special partnership with Elkhorn Elementary School. That's why we've got a special partnership with a lot of the resource counselors around Franklin County. And if they have a need at school with the family, they oftentimes come to us because we'll try to take care of them. We're determined as a church family to love not just with words but by actions. It's one of the reasons that we are so serious, so serious about launching this, what is called Indispensable Church. We're going to be launching an initiative here coming very soon for those with disabilities. We'll be having a worship service once a month that's going to be focused on them, not here. It's going to be a special service that we're going to present, and we're going to put on a variety of classes and programs for that community. We're really excited about it. 
But that's only half. We can do all of that stuff as a church and it still not be who I am. We can do that stuff as a church and it doesn't represent who you are. How are you as a neighbor? Individually, you are nudging people towards Jesus. Individually, you are making lives better or not, right? All of us, that's where we are. How are you doing? What are you doing? What kind of neighbor are you? Are you the kind of neighbor that just kind of holds up in your house and hope nobody notices? And a little bit of that is okay, I suppose. But I would certainly hope that your neighbors know that if there's an issue, you're there to help them. You're a neighbor. You don't just live next door. They need to know that we're salt-of-the-earth type people, right? Are you one of those neighbors who gets so wrapped up in church that you don't have any time to contribute to your neighborhood? It's easy to do that for some of us. One of those unneighbors. It's hard to be a good neighbor if you pay no attention to them, right? I certainly hope that you're not one of those hateful neighbors. And there's some Jesus followers who just don't like people. They don't see the image of God in them, I guess. And they stupidly think that they're doing God's work to constantly remind people that they're on a fast track to hell. Guys, I hope they can see love in your eyes, grace in your eyes. If you can't speak to somebody with grace, then you're not the one to speak God's truth. And are you willing in your neighborhood to treat people of different races, different faiths, different lifestyles in a way that is respectful, generous, loving, and just without ever compromising on God's truth. And that's who we are. I hope it's who we are as a church. That's what I hope we develop to be as individuals, truth and grace, truth with grace, never compromising on either one. Do people taste his grace flowing through you? Are you finding a way to work for the common good? We have some people here who are doing amazing work trying to figure out ways to work for the common good. I've seen some of you guys do amazing jobs at this. It's really, really cool. Part of honoring our God is loving on our neighbors, trying to build a community that's safe, right? Not just for ourselves, but for our neighbors, Trying to create good workplaces where people are valued and people prosper. People who work for peace. Peace between people, peace between races, peace between tribes. It's a God-honoring thing. Jesus followers who work for justice for everybody, irrespective of their position, their power, their color, or their money. That's God-honoring. People who work for great schools great medical services, great parks, great kids programs. That's called the common good. And as Jesus followers, we are committed to the common good. Caring for the weak, the marginal, the elderly, the ill, the immigrants, the poor, the disabled. That's the common good. It's who we are as people of God because you can't love him without loving on those who bear his image, right? You see, it's not our job just to nudge people towards Jesus, although that is the top of our list. It's the greatest thing in the world. It's about respecting those people who've been blessed by God. That's common grace. And it's about loving on people 
who bear the image of God. That's called the common good. Loving him first and loving our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. You can't do one without the other either way. Buy that? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, this is a challenge because sometimes we get so wrapped up in spiritual things that we forget about the world that we live in and sometimes we just get so wrapped up in the world we forget about spiritual things. We are the ones who stands with feet in both worlds and as Jesus followers, we want to point people towards you and we want to love on them even as they push you away. Help us speak the truth and help us to always speak it with grace. Help us to love you with all of our hearts and help us to love our neighbors as ourselves and never to separate those two. Now I'd ask that you keep your eyes closed. Keep your heads bowed. Please don't look around. Guys, we're here because we believe God is in the room. And we believe that God nudges people here. And when God nudges you, don't push back. God loves you. And I'm just, are there people in this room that, have, that are not Jesus followers yet, and you can feel the nudge of God, and he's asking you to make him the king of your life? If you are that person, would you mind raising your hand? No one can see you. Would you just raise your hand? There are several of you. There are people in this room Stuff we've been talking about is very challenging because we haven't been very good neighbors. And there's some work that you need to do to be God-honoring in your life. If that describes you, do you mind raising your hand? No one's going to look. Just raise your hand. There's quite a few of you. And there's even a few in this room. This is a little tangential. But you're just drifting and you need a church home. And it may not be capital city, but you need a church home. You need a family. If you need a church family, would you mind raising your hands? And there are those I see there too. Father, you know what's in the hearts. And you see the people in this room that have felt your nudges. And I just pray that you'll wrap your arms around them and Give them a sense of your truth and your grace. Help them to taste your peace and your joy. And help them to choose a God-honoring path. And help us as a church family to live out the truth, not just talk about it. Help us to live it out. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Before I get down from here, guys, I'm just going to tell you what's going to happen next. We're going to come to a time of the Lord's Supper and Basically, we're going to invite you to these tables around the room, and you're going to find a tray. And on that tray, there's some little crackers, and those crackers just represent the body of Christ who is broken for us to save our sins, save us from our sins. You're going to see a little cup there with a little bit of juice in it. It represents the blood of Jesus shed for us. This is a table of grace. This is where he reminds us who we are and what we stand for. And as Jesus' followers, every week in this place, we gather around this table 
to remember that event that makes us Jesus followers and to commit ourselves again to him. You're also going to see on that table, you're going to see a black offering box. If Capital City is your home, if it's not your home, feel no obligation, please. Capital City is your home. Part of our act of worship of him is to give our first part back to God. And I know some of you guys do it online, and that is so cool. Appreciate that. Some of you guys do it right here, and that's what that black box is for. Give an offering to God. And there's a white generous bucket. I talked about that a couple minutes ago. If you've got a dollar or two, you want to put it in that bucket. Every dollar that goes in there, we're going to use to love on people, just to take care of people, sometimes in this church family, sometimes well outside these walls. Okay? But there's something else I'm going to ask you to do. A lot of you guys raise your hands. You need prayer? Come up here and we'll pray with you. If you just need to spend some time during this thing, getting things right with God, you do some praying during this time. This is a place to evaluate yourself as a Jesus follower, to ask forgiveness for your sins, ask for his grace, and make a commitment to doing it his way as you walk out this door. Some of you guys raised your hand because you know that you need to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Please don't leave without talking to us. During this time of the Lord's Supper, I'm going to be right, right over there, I think, and Vern is right over there, and we've got other elders nearby. Andy's back in the prayer room. Please come and talk to one of us. Talk to one of us during this time of the Lord's Supper or just talk to us right after the last song, and let's just talk about making Jesus Christ the King of your life. You know what's the right thing to do. I saw your hands up. Some of you guys need a church home. And if that was you, come on down and talk to us. Maybe Capital City's the place for you. If you love Jesus, he's the Lord of your life. We'd love to have you as part of our family. Guys, you're welcome. Come to the tables, please.